You are listening to Myth Behaving, a podcast with a little bit of attitude on the literary world. Won't you come Myth Behave with us? Hello, and welcome to Myth Behaving. This is episode number 35 of the Myth Behaving podcast, and we're recording on Sunday, September 21st, 2014. My usual po- co-host and partner in crime, Ms. Carla Clifton, is on hiatus for a while. So since she's got such big shoes to fill, I decided we needed two co-hosts. And I'm joined today by our what's going to be our regular co-hosts, Paul Ellis and Katie Brisky, who have kindly decided to join the madness. Welcome, Paul and Katie. Thank you so much for filling in. Well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it's really good that we're here. Katie, let's go ahead and start with you and tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. And listeners, just so you know, we're going to dispense with our usual format today. We're going to go to a little bit of a roundtable because I'll give you a hint about these two. Both of them are fellow authors. So we're going to do something a little bit different in today's format. So Katie, start us off. Who are you? Um, I am a Canadian author and podcaster, mostly a fantasy uh, so I will write pretty well anything. Um, my novel Hapex came out with Dragon Moon Press in 2012. My short fiction has appeared in Black Treacle magazine, Tales from the Archives Volume 3, and When the Hero Comes Home Volume 2, which was an anthology with Dragon Moon Press. Um, I also write about beer at blackcreekbrewery.wordpress.com, and I've even had an opera out. So really, I will do just about anything. Um, my major project right now that's just coming out, hopefully at the end of this week, is I have written an RPG with a company called Choice of Games. So it's basically like a choose-your-own-path type story. Uh, So that will be available as an app on iTunes, I believe, at the end of this week. And that's what's really been on my radar right now. Plus this. This is exciting. Oh, that sounds fascinating. You know I'm a gamer, so that's that's uh, anytime. The minute you mention gaming, the ears perk up. Yeah, it's funny because I, I hadn't really had that much experience with that style of writing. I mean, I read a lot of choose-your-own-adventure books as a kid, and it was kind of similar. But starting to think of writing in that way was a really cool experience. Paul, tell us who you are. I'm Paul Ellis. I am an application developer for the United Network for Organ Sharing in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, They're the transplant people. We are the people that match up donors and recipients. So uh, that's what I do during the day. At night, I am an author and podcaster. Uh, I have got short fiction out with Charlie Brown Press. He did Dirty Magic Los Angeles. I've got a short there. Uh, I've got a sequel to that in his follow-up. Dirty Magic New Orleans is a genre mashup, so that, that'll be a lot of fun. I've also got something waiting in the wings with Tales from the Archives Volume 3 Foothold, so that'll be coming up here shortly as soon as I can get that recorded. Uh, I'm brand new to writing. I've been telling stories for almost 50 years. This is the first time I've actually put them on paper, so that's been interesting. My background for doing podcasting actually goes way back to radio. I think we've kind of discussed this a little bit before. When I do editing, when I talk about doing audio editing, I immediately think of the big open reels and grease pencils and splicing tape and razor blades. So uh, this is this is going to be a lot of fun for me to do production digitally. Yes, and we do want to point out that Paul is doing the production now. Um, he's doing all the recording and all the technical stuff that I don't do. <laughs> so thank you, Paul. 
I, I find it interesting that all three of us are like in the final stages of things. Uh, I've recently signed a contract with Elysian Press, which some of you may know is actually my own my own press with my partner Jen Ryan, and uh, we've got my entire Modern Magics, which used to be the Tholican Chronicles, is undergoing a complete makeover and new covers. It's been re-edited and. Um, I'm releasing book one within the next couple of days. So Relics is back back in the world very soon. So And then you guys have all got things that are getting ready to pop really fast too. So we're all right there in that, that hectic part of the production phase, which I think is kind of exciting to be starting a new, new version of this podcast um, right at the time we're all doing that. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting timing. Yeah, it's great when you've got that final creative rush and then you can channel it into other projects as well. Well, the challenging part there is that you want to always promote the work that you're currently doing, that you've currently got on your plate. But then to be able to have the energy to produce something new, that's that's what I've always found to be a little bit of a challenge for myself. So what is your writing routine? My writing routine now is kind of up in the air. What I like to do, uh, I've got three daughters. One of them's in college. The other two uh, are very involved in karate. So what I will do uh, when I get off of work is usually take them to the dojo, and we will spend a couple of hours working out there, bring them back home, get their homework done. And then about 9 or 10 o'clock at night is when I can sit down and, and give some real solid time towards getting words down on virtual paper uh some evenings it's a it's it's a grind because by 10 o'clock at night after being up since about six o'clock in the morning you're done you're you're absolutely done so uh that's when i get finished with the work uh like i have with the the short story that i did for uh, pip and t uh from tales from the archives i i've kind of been sitting on, on my heels going well i'm done with that now and I still have a little bit more I've got to push through. So it's uh, it the, the challenge for me is that I need someone to apply boot to butt so that I can actually get this stuff out the door. And are you a panner or a, pla- a pantser or a planner? Oh, I'm, Boy, I, I am a horrible, horrible planner. I uh, I like to actually put together uh, story bibles for what I do. Um, so when I create uh, a new world or a new universe, what I'll sit down and, and actually draft together will be a bible that's awesome katie what about you what's your writing routine well i neglected to mention my by day i'm a historical interpreter that mostly talks about victorian beer uh so i usually get home at like seven o'clock at night it's dinner and then from about nine through till one ish um it's writing time so i just kind of squirrel myself away um something i find really helpful is having set concrete goals for things to accomplish through the night so it's not just, you know, edit um, like this novel, it's edit these three chapters of this novel and then move on to this next thing and then fix this scene of the game. Because otherwise I feel like I would be spending all of my time on one thing and I would get to one, two in the morning. And like Paul says, after a long day of work, you're done by the end of the night. So I find yeah. when you've got a lot of different things, and that's my challenge, is having many, many plates in the air and making sure they all get enough attention. I sympathize with that one. Yes. Planner or pantser? Oh, very much a planner. Um, and don't make the intense story Bibles like Paul. That sounds really cool, though. 
Um, and I think it's cool that you can reuse the material in other things. Um, I tend, I like to think of it as being like a roadmap. So I have, I know where I start and where I end and I know significant landmarks along the way, but there's still room for detours and going slightly off the beaten path. Um, if the story seems to be moving in a certain way. Uh, but generally I do have a very rough idea of my route. Yeah. See, now I'm a pantser. I've got a very general idea of where I think it's going to end up, but I'll be honest, this series went places I never expected. I did not, I originally thought I was writing a bunch of uh, paranormal mystery detective stories. That's what I thought I was writing. That's not what I wrote. When you're writing it and you find it starting to go off in a different direction, like I know for myself, especially with the game, that was very unplanned. Um, and I would say something and then have to almost write myself out of corners. Do you find that actually gives you more to work with? Like if you've set something and then you now have to incorporate it through the rest of the novel? I've actually gone back and changed a couple of things because it went where I wasn't expecting it to. And where, where it went was stronger than what I had originally planned. So I think it's the stage. My stage background is letting me let those characters come to life. And I let them, they, they, they're telling the story. Well, I've had actually cut entire chapters out of work that I've had in the, in the outline and then taken them and used them somewhere else. In, in another uh, storyline or another universe altogether. Uh, simply because of that. You you want to have an outline. You want to know where you're going. But if you're so tied to it that you can't allow the characters to speak to you, then I think you've lost a lot of the creativity that's inherent in the process itself. And I, that would be a detriment, I think, because this story, I like to know where it's going, but sometimes these guys surprise me. Sometimes these characters surprise me. So that's uh, one of the things. And also working with editors, um, I think for disclosure, now I've worked with Katie before as an editor on the story that I've got coming out with uh, Pip and T, and there have been a lot of uh, things that, I, that she pointed out to me that I needed to get corrected that actually helped the story become stronger. So I think as an author, you've got, your skin has got to be thick enough that even when you turn your baby over, that child is maybe the most beautiful baby that you've got, but you can always do stuff to make it better. Yes, I, I sympathize with that feeling. I, I remember with my novel Hapix, I forgot to make up the part of the political institution and got to a scene where there should have been like the head priest or something and he wasn't there. So I had to quickly invent something and it turned into this whole subplot that I never saw coming, um, which like as Mary says, allowed the characters to really live and breathe and do things I hadn't planned, but it was stronger for it. You see, that's what happened in Relics with um, the Damon Tyler Jones. Because when I started out, I just thought he was uh, this serial killer run, running this gang in San Francisco. I had no idea he was an 8,000-year-old daemon. And when I started writing that and Lafie's like, Lafie knew that he wasn't human, I'm like, what do you mean he's not human? <laughs> so I, I was quite surprised. <laughs> and I, don't and know I bet your readers from. were too, right? It took it on such a lovely turn because instead of, you know, just a bunch of different di different cases, um, book after book, this literally is what happens to Earth when magic returns, when magic comes back and via the portals with the different creatures in book one. And then I won't say on the other books um, because I don't want to give it away. But but it it really did take a turn. I I think is stronger. I think it's a better book for it. 
So what do you do when you get stuck with that, though? I mean, when when you get to the writer's block or kind of a creative logjam, how do you work your way around that? I don't get writer's block. So I don't know. I, I don't know whether to be impressed or to hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of had that same reaction. Like, that's uh, really cool, but also, well, yeah. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why because, and I, I thought I was weird because I've been having all my friends for this. You know, I'm new to writing too, Paul. I started writing in 2010 novels anyway, and I had these friends who are always, you know, oh, well, you know, this isn't going where I want or da-da-da. And my very first guest on this podcast was Tim Powers, and we talked about writer's block. And he said, there's no such thing as writer's block. You can always write a sentence, even if it's a crap sentence. Write the sentence, and then write the sentence that comes after that. And if it's crap, fix it later. And I thought, well, that explains what I do. I just write a lot of crap, you know, so... I just put it down there and and go back and fix it later. Well, for those of us mere mortals that don't quite have that gift that you have, Katie, how do you how do you approach that? For me, I find I just need to get away from the screen for a bit. When I do get, I like the t- term you use, log jam. And when I get jammed, it's usually because I'm too close to something and I have worked myself up too much. And I think for me, it's very much a psychological thing. Uh, I'm too close to it. I can't see the forest for the trees. The anxiety is taking over. I'm starting to doubt my writing ability and my life and everything. I just need to get away. Um, So I turn off the computer. I go for a walk in nature. I look at clouds and stuff and just try and get my head out of that. And I find, especially when you're doing something physical and something like mechanic, like I find washing dishes also really helps. Um, it's almost like that subconscious part of your brain can finally just start working away. And it's probably been working away quietly in the background the whole time. But this panicked squirrel brain is going so loudly that you can't hear it. Uh, so this actually happened to me last night. I was kind of panicking over stuff because I, I couldn't plot something and it wasn't working out and everything was awful. And I went to sleep. And that is when the answer came is when I actually just shut down, shut off. And once the anxiety had lifted, the creativity was able to come through a lot more. So I think for me, short answer is just taking a step back and taking a couple of deep breaths. I want to address that a second, but that doesn't sound like that's all that much different from what I do. When I get tired, I go, I take a break from it. I mean, I'm not saying I'll never get tired of it, but I'm never like, I mean, I'm talking friends say they're blocked. They can't write. And we see movies about this. You know, where they're talking about, oh, the writer has writer's block and they can't do this and they have to do all this stuff. But Okay, yeah, like I can see, I guess for me, I, I think of writer's block as more of an acute problem, like a really short-term thing. Like I would say last night, oh, I had writer's block and it was like, I don't know, three hours yeah, of me see, being miserable. But it's not three months. Yeah, I wouldn't call that writer's block. What about you, Paul? I, I, I guess creative logjam would be what I think that I have uh, since, you, since we seem to be redefining what writer's block is I don't I have never had writer's block long term I've I've never had you know weeks and months of not being able to put words to page but I certainly have had hours and hours and hours of it Um, and and like Katie what I've found to be a big help for me is uh, well my family is heavy heavily invested in karate so we've we've got a heavy bag in the basement and when I get to where I just can't seem to get something plotted out I can't get a line of dialogue to work I look at the page and go, this is total and utter crap. Everyone's going to know I'm a fraud. I'll go do that. I'll go hit the heavy bag and, and do a little work out there. 
I will go do some kata. I will uh, something physical, something that uh, I can turn the main brain off and let the lizard brain take over and kind of rest for a little while. And usually the answer will come to me while I'm doing whatever that exertion is. I, it'd probably be better off if I did something like dishes or cleaning. I'm sure my wife and daughters would enjoy <laughs> that if I did that instead. But the ability to take that step back is a major, major help. I used to say, well, I, I'm stuck on this project. I'll go to another project and I'll work on that instead. What happened was I wound up with four or five projects halfway done and nothing completed, which is horrendous as well. So I've taken to focusing on one thing until I get to done with that. And that, that's, that's working out a lot better for me. But again, I think that the cure that I've had uh, is very similar to Katie's is just take that step away. Don't be afraid to just turn the computer off and walk away for 10 minutes, an hour, whatever it takes to kind of calm down. I'd just like to throw in one caveat. I think that sometimes, like if you've got major life crises going on, you might not be able to produce as much as you had been before. Um, and I think there can be a lot of pressure on people, like saying, oh, you know, there's no such thing as writer's block. I think there can be a lot of pressure to create under any and all circumstances. Uh, but I know, like, almost two years ago now, I went through a very rough patch, like with my family, like there had been deaths and illness and all sorts of things, and I couldn't write because there's too much going on. But I gave myself that time. It was like stepping away, but for a longer period of time, just to get through it and protect myself. I guess, because yes, we are writers, but we're also human. Right, so I think but you, you were making the choice to do that, right? Um, well, I made the choice after I would sit down and nothing would happen because I, my head was not in writing. My head was on everything else that was happening in my life. Um, so I did. I gave it the good call to try and said, I am going to have to come back to this when I'm in a more stable place. Oh, and I think that's key, too, is to know where you are at. Because if you don't know where you're at creatively you're never going to be able to get to your goals so yeah i think that's that's key uh, i think from a more mundane level uh, i work with uh, or worked with an individual he uh, was a prolific writer he did but he didn't care whether he was published or not so but he could write anywhere he could sit down and just pick up something and immediately start writing that's the kind that's the level of discipline that i would like to get to where i don't need to have a ritual i don't need to be in my seat i don't need to have my computer in front of me because uh, he would sit down with a pad and a piece of paper and just start writing and then transcribe it later that level of commitment to the craft is where i would like to get to that ability to produce words on page is what i'd like to get to he will be the first one to tell you that everything he wrote is not golden, <laughs> and everything mm -hmm. he everything he writes needs editing. He he will be the first one to tell you that. But he got it down to begin with. He got it down to be edited. You know, he got it down to be uh, gone over later. So that's that's what I would like to do is get all of these stories that are, that are spinning in my head down so that they can be edited. So do you have some strategies for accomplishing that? One of the things that this guy used to do that I have started doing is trying to cultivate to myself the ability to just sit down and write. Kind of like Mare said at the beginning, she just sits down and writes. And it, it may not be great, you know, it, it, it's not Pulitzer work, but it, it is a sentence. And then there's the next sentence. And this is, we'll call it the Tim Powers approach. Mm -hmm. that, that, <laughs> le that level of discipline is incredibly hard to do, but it's so simple. 
because we, we want to produce, uh, there's this, especially, and I'm going to consider myself a new writer, every word's got to be golden. I think the further away you can get from that idea and just get it down, that the editing process is really where this, where your, your that raw material becomes gold, that is what I would like to get to. So my process is when I sit down, I just try to put one sentence down, and that's that's where I'm going, one sentence at the time. And then at the end of the hour, you know, I'll have 800 words. I'll have 1,000 words, may have 1,200 words. That's what I'd like to get to. I'm not perfect, but that's what I'd like to get to with it. I think it's my theater background. I really do. That that lets me do that because I'm able to compartmentalize very easily. And I just, I literally, it's I, it's a joy to sit down and write because that's my escape. I could just go live in this other world. I don't have to deal with anything in mind. And so even if it's just um, 15, 20 minutes of getting stories down, because like right now I've got so much on my plate, as you both know, that that it is it is tough to find the time to just do it. So I have to just like sneak little bits in. But they're joy. And I don't have any idea whether it's any good or not. I'll figure that out when I'm done with it. I so, just don't. Oh, sorry, Paul, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask you about your writing routine. Um, like in terms of what I do to keep myself, I don't know, writing. <laughs> well, um, right. What's your, what's your process? I mean, a lot of people, well, I, I get my tea and I go sit in my room and I'm trying to get away from that as much as I possibly can. But uh, that way I'm not tied to any particular th- discipline except putting the words down. Well, it's interesting because I've actually heard people say that rituals can be a good thing when you're writing. So I, whether it's it's having the tea or the music or something, but it's almost like muscle memory. I've heard the theory, I guess, espoused that when you do have that ritual, there is a part of your brain that says, oh, it's writing time now. Um, So because I have always been in school and I've always had day jobs, I have always tended to write at night. So like in high school, writing um, after school, through university doing that. So I find I'm most creative at nighttime. Um, I tend to do kind of I don't know, odd editing jobs, both for myself and other people during the day. Um, but I find around, I don't know, 7, 8 o'clock at night, that's when my brain starts going, oh, you should be writing now. Mm-hmm, it's time. It's time. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Um, so I, I like caffeine when I write, but I don't really have like a ritual of like my pens arranged a certain way. For me, it seems to be a time thing. Almost like when you eat meals at a certain time, you start getting hungry at a certain time. Um, The other thing I do is that I do treat it as another job. I mean, yes, it's a joy, and I try to frame it in my head as something I get to do as opposed to something I have to do, but taking it as seriously as another job. Uh, So, you know, you show up, you put in your words, and then hopefully you get them done. Uh, But you're your own boss, so you got to hold yourself accountable, which can be tricky. What do you do when you're finding yourself low on creativity? What do you do to refill that well? Music. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Music is great for for the emotive part of putting a story together. But I read. I'll, I'll either read or I'll, I'll watch a movie. The best creative bump that I've gotten is from watching movies that are utter dreck. <laughs> movies that are, that are just absolutely ridiculous because you find yourself going, I could do better than that. How could you do better than that? Aha, and now here's a story. Yeah, yeah, I've I've done that too, where I've just like not expected it, and I've got oh now it's like you, I've got all these ideas now, and it's like ideas stop coming because I'm not so sure I got the time to to get them all down. 
watching something really bad does help does help you figure out how to do it better. I think that's great. I love that. Yep, it is a way to learn, right? Learn what not to do. Um, and you said music as well, Mayor? Yeah, music, definitely music. Uh, soundtracks, not songs with words. Nothing yeah. with words where I'm going to start singing the words. And, you know, here, next thing I know, I'm, I'm writing the words to the song on the screen. And no, I'm not doing that. So I listen to a lot of gaming soundtracks. And uh, for book three, which I finished not too long ago, I, I used uh, Two Steps from Hell, which is epic music. Oh, I like so, them. Yeah. So I, I write to them. Film soundtracks. So tons of soundtracks. Film, games, whatever I can get my hands on that that pumps me up for whatever I need pumped up. And then, depending on the scene, uh, there was one track, uh, Two Steps from Hell, or excuse me, from Skyrim, that I used for this one scene in Magics. And I think I must have played that track over, like, probably 50 times while I was writing that scene. Sidebar, if you like Two Steps from Hell, have you heard Audio Machine? I have not. Are they along those same lines? Yeah, I like them as well. I kind of my go-tos. I'm busy making notes here. (laughs) (laughs) Taking good ideas, yes. Um, Yeah, I also like music while I write. Um, I always found music has helped with that creative thing because I find there's something in music that just bypasses the squirrel brain, basically, and gets to that creative brain. Like, it hits you very viscerally. Um, So I've always really liked it, both when I'm actually writing, but I also find I get a lot of ideas while, like, walking around listening to music. Um, there is an entire subplot in my current novel that I'm editing. Um, it's a Victorian dark fantasy type thing. Um, and there's a wedding subplot, which came about solely because I was listening to Irish pub songs. And there's one that's actually a Scots pub song, but close enough, uh, called Mary's Wedding. And there's something in the phrasing and something in the lyrics, just something that punched me right in that creative brain and went, oh, I just had a brilliant idea. So I find that music, yes, while I'm writing is great, but also music with words can be a good thing when I'm just bopping around doing my own non-writing related stuff. And I find that something else that often brings a lot of ideas is when you're doing something not related to writing. Because if you're only writing, that's all you're eventually going to end up writing about, I would think. What is something that either one of you wished you had known when you were starting out? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I'm trying to think all of the things. (laughs) <laughs> everything, everything I've learned, I wish I, I had no, I had no idea. I was just like, I said, a friend of mine said, oh, I'm going to write a book. And I'm like, you know what? That sounds like fun. I'm going to write a book too. I swear that's how I started this book. I had jotted an idea down about six months before about a story. Don't know why I jotted it down. But when she said that, I thought, oh, I jotted that note down. Where is that? And I went and I found that, and I had something totally obscure that was just like she senses things. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, what use is this to me? So I sat down, and this whole story came about because I was playing World of Warcraft, and I was in a guild that had these this couple. And World of Warcraft has this race that are Torrens called Torrens, and they're cow people. So all these people have these names that begin with Moo. So it's moo this and moo that. And I was I was just done with the moos one day. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you guys nicknames. And I literally typed into the thing, Thulu and Luffy. 
And I looked at those names and I went, I'm not giving those those names. That's my book. <laughs> and I just erased it. And I said, okay. And I sat down and I wrote the first draft in five weeks. Whoa. Just sat and wrote it. But what you don't realize is I ended up taking half of the book, throwing it out completely, and rewriting the whole last half completely. I just took, took the whole half of the book and dumped it. And that's also very impressive, the work that goes into that. <laughs> that is very difficult to do. The first time I had to do that, I, I was almost in tears. And I, and I try to consider myself to be a big, tough, macho guy. Uh, and I'm not. But having having daughters will tell you that in a hurry. That I was almost in tears having to cut out uh, a couple of scenes that I thought were key to the story. And they were very they were very descriptive scenes, but they really didn't move the plot along. They needed to go. So the ability to do that is... Uh, one of the things that I wish it, that I had had when I started, because having to learn that was painful. Yes. Well, it was, but it was painful. I mean, I had these, I was trying to get my query done, and I went over to Absolute Right, and these people were trying to help me with my query. And finally, one person said to me, he said, the problem with your query is your book. And, and I said, and I looked at it, he goes, the chances of you getting, because I, I had a cliffhanger ending. He says, the chances of you selling this book with a cliffhanger ending as a brand new author, or somewhere between slim and none. And, but I needed to hear that. I needed, I needed to hear that information. And so after I was like, took my poor little, you know, tail between my legs and, and went away. But I thought about it and I thought, yeah, no, he's right. This, so how can I fix it? But I had to literally go back into about halfway in the story to fix it. And I did. I threw out. But I brought in so many new things that I had not thought of before. And it's so much richer because of it. Yes, I always find that it's very painful when you do it, but you never regret chopping out and putting new and well, very rarely anyway. But yeah, I can I find that you do almost sense where things have gone off the rails. And if you get back to that last point when it when you were still comfortable with it and remove things after that. Um, it sucks, but it's that question of, do I want to keep this here because I'm in love with the image or the turn of phrase or this character or the scene or because it's actually important to the story? What things do you wish that you had known? You said there were so many of them you couldn't pick. Is there one that stands out that you wish you'd known when you started writing? Um, I consider myself still a new writer. I probably will when I'm 60. <laughs> I kind of been doing this for decades. Um, something I wish I'd known starting out was all of the other things that come along with writing, um, if you want to make a career out of it. Because it is not just you sitting in your ivory tower or your student ghetto, as the case may be, uh, typing away. Um, I'm at the point I need to keep track of like my income from this because the government is wanting to tax me. Um, I need to keep track of stories that are out. Um, you start to meet people and build relationships, um, business and personal. Um, so there's a whole wider world out there that you don't really realize when you're, say, 16, starting up being like, I want to write a novel about fantasy and, and such. Um, so it's this whole other more businessy side of it um, that I'm getting my feet wet in a little bit. Yeah, they never tell us about the business side of writing when we start. And this is something I actually really like about uh, the MFA program that I'm in right now. Uh, for those of you who do not know, I am a student at the Stone Coast Creative Writing uh, MFA, so Master's Fine Arts. 
And they do talk about the publishing and the business side, as well as the creative side of writing. One of my instructors, I had Jim, Jim uh, Kelly as my workshop leader the last time I went down to Maine. And he was like, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about not just craft and art and everything, but also marketability. I was like, thank you, Jim. That is information that we need to know if we're going out into this world. That's very important information. What about you, Paul? Yeah, I'm going to consider myself as, as a brand new writer, too. So I'm going to say that uh, some of the things that I'm now finding out about, uh, particularly on the business side and, and the promotion side, because uh, mm-hmm. now with all of the – anybody can write a story, upload it to Amazon, and ta-da, you're a published writer or a published author. But the actual promotion, now to be able to get your work out in front of other people, is something that unless you're tuned into the social media, unless you're tuned into writers' blogs and podcasts, your work is going to get lost in the noise of 100,000 other people doing the exact same thing that you are. So I think one of the things that I would have liked to have known about, one of the things that I would have liked to have had more experience with when I started writing was the the promotion part of the process. Uh, I don't mind getting out and meeting people. I don't mind, you know, touting my wares and being my own spokesperson. That That's not a big deal. I just wish I had known, you know, how to, what's the correct way to go about it? If you've ever had somebody ping you on Twitter and say, hey, I want to follow you, and you go and you look at their profile, and it's one, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, one right after the other, you're like, no, I, I want my feed to be a little bit cleaner than that. And so you don't follow them, because you know that all that's going to be is one big, long spam package for you. So how do you do that correctly? And yes, there are books out there, and yes, there there are people that can, can show you how to do that. Uh, I just wish I had more of that under my belt when I started. Yes. My wishes were fishes, right? Right. Um, yeah, with but. some of that, I find like I find models very helpful for that sort of thing. Um, so you know, you, you come across writers' blogs and writers who are self-promoting in the course of your online travels, and I try and find out, okay, who is doing this well, you know, and how are they doing it? And this is also how I learned to interpret at the museum. Like you, kind of watch and you pick out the people that are doing it well, and you pick apart their style and analyze and dissect and say, okay, what are you actually doing here? It's like taking apart an engine or something to see how it works. Um, and I find this very helpful on a craft level as well. Just saying, like, okay, what, what's actually going on under that very polished um, final product? I want to come back to the social media in a second, but before we finish up with the, 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 what we wish we had known, question for both of you. If you had known this at the at 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 the beginning, would you still have done it? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Hundred percent. Me too. <laughs> I had to ask it though because that's the logical question, right? Well, the the thing that I get uh, is is I've been telling stories creatively, not just lying, but telling stories for a number of years since probably I could learn to talk six or seven years old. It's the the discipline of putting them down on paper. Um, and taking that oral tradition that, that uh, I had been unintentionally moving along because, you know, uh, what does a 13-year-old know about oral tradition? Nothing. But uh, I was still practicing it. So uh, taking that and putting the discipline to actually get it down on paper and some of these tales that I was regaling people with, you know, as we would sit down to do Dungeons and Dragons way back when only, you know, weirdos did it, then that, that was me. Being able to, to be a DM and, and create that story, putting it on paper and, and, and being able to tell that 
yeah, I think that, that that drive to want to get that idea out so that other people can enjoy it as much as you can will override any discomfort you may have with other things. That's my personal take on it. I think so, too. I think for me, it is very much a compulsion. I write because I that's what I do. I write. I have to. Um, if I were to stop writing, I feel like that would not end well, uh, either for me, for me or for people around me. Um, I think knowing about some of this in advance might have made some of this smoother and easier. But no, definitely all the time I would have done it. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I've been telling stories since I was a child. Mine was, you know, acting out, obviously, on the stage, but I'm still telling stories. That's what I was doing. So I've just, I've just changed formats is all. Yeah. So going, coming back to social media, what is your favorite social media to interact on? Now, you mentioned Twitter. I, had a, I, had a, I, I have a lot of followers on Twitter, but I use Twitter pretty much to keep people what's going on with book-wise. I do my interacting over on Facebook. Yeah, I like Facebook for interacting. Uh, I, I'm primarily on Facebook now. I started out on Twitter, and that is such an enormous time suck. It's a great deal of fun. Don't don't get me wrong. I made some of my first real online connections on Twitter. But at 140 characters, if you are not on there at a constant rate, it's almost lost in the noise of everyone else there. So I, I found that Facebook is a more profitable in terms of, of actually getting to meet people virtually and then when you meet them at, at like Balticon or, or one of the other conferences you already have a common ground established that, that makes that transition into real life a whole lot easier. Hmm. I like dipping into Twitter occasionally almost to just get the snapshot of the hive mind um, so I'm not on it by any means as regularly maybe as I should be but an occasional dip in every once in a while is good but I agree with you I find uh, the relationships I make on Facebook are deeper than the ones on Twitter um, I think those are actually the only two sites I'm on, or Twitter and Facebook. So you don't use Google Plus at all? No, people keep adding me to their circles, and I've done like hangouts and stuff on the like very occasional basis. But it's not it's not my go to. It's not the one I gravitate towards. Yeah, it's not me either. And I try I've tried, you know, to to do the different ones on Google for some reason. I just haven't I haven't hit the right communities. I think yet. I've I've hit some great communities. But they're mostly, I, I want, we want to connect with, at, at the stage that we are in our careers, we want to be connecting with the readers, not necessarily other writers. And I'm in too many writing communities as opposed to reading communities, I think. What about Goodreads? Are you on Goodreads? I am on Goodreads, but I'm more of a lurker. <laughs> yes, I agree. Same with me, actually. I'm on there, but mostly just lurking. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so it sounds like Facebook is the winner amongst us here. <laughs> Well, for the three of us, yeah, and it's different because I've got friends who swear by Google, Google Plus, swear by friends who swear by Goodreads, you know. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see. Well, we kind of met through Facebook in the sense that we met through Dave Dave Robinson. Right. Many awesome I know. things in life come from Dave Robinson. <laughs> I was about to say, absolutely. But but Dave actually connected to to Carla and I through Facebook, so. So that was kind of cool. It is. And then, I don't know about you, Paul, but the, the way I found out about this podcast was on Facebook because on this writing group that Dave has started called Rotano Rimo, he put out the call saying, okay, so, you know, this host is going on hiatus. 
is anyone interested in helping out? And that's how I first heard about it. That, that's exactly how I first heard about it as well. It was uh, there in that group. When I was at Balticon this year, I, I invited myself to breakfast with J.R. Blackwell and Jared Axelrod <laughs> and Scott Roche. Uh, and uh, one of the things that Jared said was that uh, he said, Paul, you need to start a podcast. And I was like, well, that's a little ambitious for me. And he goes, no, you, you need to do that. And so if I'm going to be serious about doing things, you need to start listening to the people that have done it previously, you know, the ones that have the experience. While I'm not starting one, I'm going to get involved in one. So this came along at just the right time. That was my great fortune to get both of you, by the way. Yeah, it was my fortune. It came along at the right time for me as well, because I actually will be doing a podcast this spring, a fiction one. That is my third semester project for Stone Coast. Um, but I'd been missing it. I'd been missing getting behind the mic. I'd been missing talking to people. Um, so this was perfect. Yeah. Well, we're going to be covering a lot of different things about writing. Um, I, I like the, the round table, and I think we should probably throw that in every now and then amongst our guests. And we've got some fabulous guests lined up for uh, the rest of this year. And then we've got some, some that we're not going to talk about yet after the first of the year till we, till we nail them down. But we've got some, some exciting things in the offing. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm so excited. Secret guests. Secret guests. <laughs> yeah. I'm steepling my fingers. See, they're going to have to. They're going to have to go to the website this way. <laughs> Our listeners will have to go to the website and find out who the next guests are. <laughs> We're so uh, devious. Yeah, we are. But we've got one coming up next week. We'll be doing another recording next week, and that'll be released um, within a couple of weeks after that. So we've got some some pretty exciting things going on. Uh, we have uh, our next guest is going to be uh, M. Joseph Murphy. He's an author. He's also um, my cover artist, and we're going to chat with him on the evolution of doing covers. We're going to chat about his books too, but we're also going to chat about working with a cover artist. And this was a fabulous, fabulous collaboration. So I'm excited to have him on. After that, we have. Khalid Muhammad is coming on talking about his book, Agency Rules, which is a political thriller. And then following that up, our last guest of the year will be Sean Poindexter, who was the first author for Elysian Press and his very, very, very dark paranormal mystery, Moth. So we'll have him on later on this year, too. So we've got a pretty fabulous lineup, I think. But the rest you're going to have to wait to find out. That's right. It's a secret. It's a dark secret. <laughs> As I steeple my fingers. Yes. Stroke my cat. I'm going to actually twirl my mustache. So there we go. Now we've got yeah, the entire... I, I can't do that. Yeah. The entire <laughs> villainy thing going on. That's right. Well, we could twirl our hair, I suppose. Katie. I suppose. I could have twice the same effect. All right. Now you're, now you're just being mean. <laughs> I'm peering over the top of my glasses. That's what I am doing. Okay, does, well, anybody on that have, note. <laughs> does anybody have anything to add for today's podcast? No, I don't. I'm good. We should do it again sometime. Yep, soon. Let's do this again soon. Oh, that's a great now. idea. Well, I want to welcome you both again. Thank you so very much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to our next shows. They're going to be loads of fun. I'm sure we're going to get up to tons of shenanigans and have a fabulous time. In the meantime, I'm Mayor Wilson, and I'm signing out for Misbehaving, where reality meets fantasy. 
Myth Behaving is produced by Wireless Adventures and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International License.